0: How you doing everyone? I'm Ross Salzburg and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. This year we celebrate two miracles. One, the Miracle Mets amazing World Series victory back in 1969, and two, the miracle of Ed Cranple, a Met for 18 seasons. Eddie is able to be with us today thanks to receiving a new kidney less than two months ago. And you'll hear all about those two miracles from Eddie himself. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, folks, he played 18 seasons for the Mets. He played in 1,853 games, both Mets Records. He is a member of the Mets Hall of Fame. He is New York born and bred. So without further ado, as I said, here he is, steady Eddie Crample. Ed, thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Thanks very much, Russ. It's a pleasure. We've had a long weekend in New York and it's been a lot of fun for
0: us. Well, you know what, my friend? Before getting to the miracle of 1969, let's because I think it's really more important. Let's talk about the miracle of 2019. You receive a kidney transplant less than two months ago, I think May 7th. So first things first, how the hell are you feeling? I'm feeling
2: great. And i tell you what, it was the second miracle. Obviously 69 was number one. And uh, this year was, was a miracle. It took us over two years to, to find the donor. And we did. And uh, I'm feeling very good. Seven weeks after the fact. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the, all the prayers and thoughts of uh, the fans out there that supported us, and uh, it finally came through.
0: When did your kidney problems start? You said you be, you're on the list now for for two years. That's that's a pretty long wait. But when did all your kidney problems start? How long have you been su- what you're suffering with it?
2: Well, it's a couple of years, and once hmm. they find out that the, you know the numbers are going down, uh, you know it looks like you're going to have dialysis. That's all all due to the fact that I've been a diabetic for 40 years, so it's a progressive uh, change. And as you're checking yourself each year, you know, you can see different things happening, different uh, parts of your body kind of, you know, mm-hmm. getting taken advantage of by the diabetes, you know. So uh, we've been struggling with it, but uh, we fortunately uh, we avoided dialysis, and uh, the doctor, Dr. Darris, out in Stony Brook did a wonderful job. And seven weeks after the fact, I was able to attend the Miracle of 69 at the ballpark and uh, was able to see my teammates and friends, and we had a great time. And
0: and to give the speech, you know, they gave it to you. It, It really was quite moving. But, you know, really, Ed, not because you're here and I'm not patronizing you, but you might be the very best example, and I mean this sincerely, the best example of just how important organ donation is, because your your story is truly remarkable. You know, you know I, I, I did some homework on it. Well, the lady, you you got a, a lady by the name of Debbie Barbieri. She wanted to give you her kidney, uh, uh, wanted to give her kidney to her husband.
2: That's correct. But, but, That's but, correct. But, right, there but, were four people in us yes. involved in it. Uh, I had an organ donor uh, who was a, 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 a uh, an officer uh, in the police force, you know, and, and uh, he was donating an organ. And uh, Debbie wanted to give her husband an organ. He was, She was not a match for him. She happens to be a, the same kind of blood type as I am, AB, which we're universal receivers. We can receive from anybody. That's not a problem. But as far as donating, we can't donate our organs because it has to match up to the other people and they can't accept it. So her husband was on dialysis for about three and a half years and was suffering. She wanted to give an organ it wasn't a match. So unfortunately, they were disappointed. And, and then the, my doctor put together a group the group, and said to Debbie, you know, we have someone that's a perfect match for you, who happens to be Ed, Ed, AB, and it's Ed Crane uh, would you give the kidney to Ed and his donor will give your husband the kidney because they were a match. So they, everybody agreed to do this. Uh, four people exchanged and uh, we did the surgery all one time. They took the two donors first and then her uh, husband, Al, and myself were waiting in the waiting room. Hmm. And once they finished up taking the organs from them, um, you know, they came out and got us. They said, "Get on the gurneys and take a ride." So basically, that was it. And uh, you know, there were four surgeries the same day, and everybody got out of the hospital. Uh, Debbie was the strongest of the whole group. She she left on Friday. We all left on Saturday. I was the last one to leave.
0: Well, I I do to, to watch you. You know, it, like I'm watching you on on Saturday at you know the ceremony at City Field, and and there you are walking up. To, to the lectern and to, to to you know give you a little speech and I'm saying think about this less than two months ago this Bye. man had a, a kidney transplant but but also the amazing story and I want to give some people credit because folks believe me listening to Ed I mean he you told me Eddie how important organ donation is like like you were involved because you had a bum kidney. Uh Debbie Barbieri was involved because her husband had a bum kidney. But Correct. the guy, I mean, Brian Cooney is his name, uh, uh, right. a Port Authority cop, this young guy. Right. I mean, I'm listening to him. He says, no, nah, I just, you know, I wanted to pay it forward, do something good. I've had a good life. That's
2: it. I-, I mean, and that's that's the way it is. And it's wonderful that people, you know, will will donate an organ to a per- perfect stranger. He happens to be a Yankee fan also, Russell. It didn't matter. <laughs> He's not a Mets fan. But, uh, you know, he he was just a good guy, and uh, I've become very friendly with him. We saw him, you know, a number of times. I had him all at the ballpark. We had a good time together. I had the doctor throw out the first ball. The Mets were very good in cooperating with us. Uh, Jeff Wilpon and, and uh, Fred were very cooperative, and the press has been wonderful over the years. And, uh, you know, we put this whole thing together, and it's worked out great. I had a wonderful doctor, and, you know, you can't be happier. Stony Brook was wonderful. They did a great job. And and we all got out successfully and and all walking around pretty healthy and uh, no problems. And, uh, you know, we have to say a little prayers because it's one day at a time. But I have done a lot of work uh, and the hospital has appreciated it because every time I mention the organ donors, you know, people are not aware of what what you have to do. And I think the uh, the Motor Vehicle Bureau has gotten a program together. We started it two years ago where I did a little work with them. Where now, when you sign up for your new license, you have to put down whether you want to be a donor or not. They're trying to get that awareness out there that, uh, you know, you, you make that decision ahead of time if, God forbid, you have an accident mm-hmm. or something, you know, and uh, they have to go. They don't like to ask the family at a time of uh, crisis. This is not the best time to. Discuss taking organs from somebody, but if you you make up your mind that you'd like to help other people, they can do wonderful things and and support other people's lives and help each other, and it's a great thing. So they're doing more and more of that because you know you you can help. I mean, it's wonderful.
0: Well, l- listen, like I say, you are the best example, and hearing you talk about it, folks, you don't have to be Mets fans. You can be uh, human being fans, and Ed Cranepool is uh, the living proof. Just before we, right. Eddie, just before we get to, you know, the miracle of 69 and not your miracle, just, you know, as we all get older, all of us, you know, we take a little closer look at our own mortality, and, you know, it was staring you in the face. Did you ever have doubts that you were going to make it?
2: Well, after a couple of years, you know, you, you have doubts. My wife had some doubts. Um, if she was getting a little. And uh, I was trying to stay strong because,
1: you know, you have
2: to stay strong in a situation like that when you're facing a crisis, because uh, if you give up and you you weaken your your system, you know, all you're doing to do is go downhill. So you try to stay strong. But, you know, it is depressing when when people turn up and and, and get tested and they're not a match and, uh, you know, you can't do anything with it and other people have ailments. When they go to take the test, you know, they have their own problems, and you got to take care of that because you have to be in pretty good health to to make a donor, uh, you know, make a donation of an organ. So when they check you out. They, they don't want any anybody to be at risk. So, you know, there's a whole procedure. It's wonderful how they do it, uh, but there is, it is a procedure that you have to go through, and you just want to make people aware of it, that they can help, and there's an awful lot of parts that are good, if you can use them, and some you can live without mm-hmm. uh you know a, a kidney can can be donated because you only need one we we fortunately have two, but you really only need one kidney, so if you're in good health, you can live with one kidney, so my doctor has put one kidney in I actually have three now. They didn't even take uh, the other two out. I still have two that they're going to shrink up. <laughs> my chest was big enough to accept it, so they found out it's easier to put one in then take one out. So they left him in there and, uh, you know, I'm surviving and it's working very well.
0: God, God God bless. And like I say, you are the living proof. But now let's move to the miracle of 69. I thought that ceremony this past weekend, Ed, was just moving and emotional in, in every way. But, you know, I, I'm talking about for myself, you know, as, as I was there, I was watching it, you know, as right. a kid growing up, you know, from, from 1962 on, what was it like for you guys being part of the ceremony?
2: Well, we loved it. I'll tell you what, we had a great weekend. You know, there was uh, about 12 of us that came back, and some of the uh, the wives came in from some of the guys that have passed on. So it was a very moving uh, weekend that we haven't seen each other in a while. And it was good to, uh, you know, rekindle and, and uh, hash over those old stories. You know, the lives got bigger and the home runs got longer. And, you know, the guys that were there, was great to see. And the Mets did a nice job, but they put us up at a beautiful hotel in the city where we had a cocktail party Friday night and Saturday. It was a moving ceremony. I think they did a great job. The parade down, see Way was was mm-hmm. fun. And then as they brought us into the ballpark uh, out of center field and drove us around, the fans were wonderful. I think they were, they were cat- cl- clapping and cheering, and they had a great time. They had as much fun as we had, I think, uh, seeing us. And it was very moving and, uh, you know, it was set up right. It was short, sweet, and uh, that's the way it should be.
0: Yeah, it was short, sweet, but more importantly, like, as you say, it, it was to the point. Everybody felt that I I felt the fans felt it. I, I felt you guys felt it. Uh, w- one of the, you know, there were so many little things. And, of course, when, when you walked up, uh, you know, especially knowing you and then knowing that I'm going to talk to you today, it was emotional. But you know what got me? Watching... You know, you guys went out two in a cart, and, and there was Art Shamsky with um, Buddy, Buddy Harrelson, and, and we know Buddy right. has had some, you know, health problems, a uh, uh, little bit with dementia and, and what. and I, I, you know, you can tell that Art with his arm around him, you know, just rubbing his shoulder, and, and, and Buddy was enjoying every moment of it. I thought that was a tremendous, tremendous moment.
2: Well, it was, and and we were all trying to uh, take care of Buddy. You know, he was struggling, but you know what? He showed up. It was great to see us, and and like I said, uh, you know, we had a couple of guys on the disabled list. You know, Tom Seaver, unfortunately, couldn't make it. He's, uh, you know, in in failing health out in California, Mm -hmm. and Al Weiss was taking care of his wife, and Gary Gentry had a couple of strokes. You know, Mm -hmm. he's in rehab center, so, you know, not everybody could be there. And uh, we would have loved to have seen him, but uh, you know what? We're all about the same age. Some guys are a little older, you know, but, uh, you know, we're all getting up there. So this this is probably the last hurrah that we're going to get together as a group.
0: Well, I- I'll tell you, earlier today I had a chance to sit and talk a little bit with Ron Swoboda because I, I-, I tape my podcast here, recorded from WABC Radio, uh, where I do work for and and he was a guest. Uh, on with Bernie and Sid this morning. So we were talking, you know, a bit, and he, Ron came out with the line, you know, that the late Freddie Shiro, uh, uh, who was, you know, head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, and it was the game before they were going to win the Stanley Cup that he apparently, um, Ronnie uh, told me this. He wrote on a blackboard, You win this, we walk together forever. And, and but, I think he's right. Yeah, he, he's man.
2: He's 100% correct. 69 was so memorable, people will not let you forget, you know, that uh, that World Series. I mean, it seems like everyone was there, you know, even though it, it has to be an older group that saw it. I mean, uh, you know, they have to be 50 years ago. So, But people still want to relate to it. It, it caught New York by surprise it, it, The times that— In 69, you know, there were a lot of problems and people were thinking about other things. But when we won it, you know, they really want to relate to it. So they loved the 69 Mets. And, uh, you know, we've told the Mets that over the years that, uh, you know, it's one of the most memorable times in their history. And, uh, you know, they did a nice job bringing us all back this year and I hope they do other things people want to
0: talk to us. You you know what, Ed? One one thing that I've always felt about this for a long time, you guys were the amazing Mets, you guys were the miracle Mets, but I don't think people realize, or even the team gets credit. you, You know, you get credit for being... The Miracle Mets, you know, we the, you were the stumble bums for so long, and the, but we were a good team. Well, good team. <laughs> you, you won. That's my my, my point. You won a hundred games. Right, I, I you're think, supposed to
2: win. Yeah, you're I, I, supposed to win when you when you win a hundred games. And and the thing that the Mets had, we had good defense and great pitching. Okay, and if if you look at it, we were a team. You know, we were twenty five guys that all contributed under Gil Hodges. And and it, it really showed itself in the playoffs because the unfortunately the pitching staff went south. They weren't there in the playoffs. We beat the Atlanta Braves, who was a pretty good hitting team. When you look at that roster they had, three games to none, and, and we beat them three games in a row. But we scored a lot of runs. The left handers played that game and, and and outscored you know Henry Aaron and Orlando Sipaser and that whole crew. Who they all were hitting 40 home runs. We didn't have anybody hit 40 home runs. But we outscored them, so we scored a lot of runs. Unfortunately, the pitches didn't show up. They came back in the World Series, and I think in the five-game series against Baltimore, the pitching came back and only gave up nine runs. So they came back. But the left-handers, who won the playoffs three games to nothing, didn't play until the third game. Bill mm. Hodges believed in and we had to sit down and watch – Two games down in Baltimore, we lose the first game, and if Jerry Kuzman does not not come back strong in the second game, pitch a great game, we tie up the series. You never know, but the third game we knock out Jim Palmer for six or seven runs, and we go on to sweep the you know Baltimore Orioles. We were a good team, so everybody contributed. You can look around, and you can see that twenty five guys contributed. And that's why the Mets were so good.
0: Yeah, it it, it really did seem like, that. That's why I'm saying the team didn't didn't get enough credit for being a great team because y- you personified what a team was. Like it just seemed like there was a different guy doing every it every day. game.
2: Yeah, that's correct. And that was that was because of how Gill handled the situation. You know, he, he convinced us that platooning was the best in the best interest of our organization. The players didn't like that. There's not a player around that wants to be platooned because it affects your statistics. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you can't produce as much when you only get 300 at-bats. not the same as getting 600 at-bats. So your your numbers are not that good. But you know what? He convinced us, and, and that we knew our role. We knew when we were going to play. There were no surprises, and he stuck to it. And right away, he could have stayed with the left-handed lineup when you score seven runs a game. Why stop? Start the World Series with those guys. But he said, no, nope, bring the right-hands in. And, you know, they didn't score as many runs as we did because I think the left-handed hitting ball club was better. Mm. But the thing is, they scored a couple of runs, and, and everyone contributed, and it was great. Oh, well, they- and, you know, we would have won more pennants. If Gil Hodges stays alive, we would have won more pennants. The Mets would have been, I think, a dynasty because when you look at that staff, you had Seaver, Kuzman, Gary Gentry had a great arm. And we had that other kid that came into his own in the World Series, Nolan Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't pitch a whole lot, but when he did pitch, I mean, there was a pretty good outfielder on Baltimore that I'll tell you what, to this day, he's probably having nightmares so of that strikeout. When Nolan threw a curveball on three and two and he struck out Paul Blair, he froze him at the plate. He, his legs must have quivered. You know, and you don't forget those things. And Nolan went on to have such a great career, you know, in another organization where he got a chance to yeah. pitch on a regular rotation and became the star that we knew his arm was there. We knew he had, you know, the ability. It was a matter of putting it all together. I mean, nobody could throw, throw harder than him. He never had a sore arm. He was a, 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 a magician out there. Mm. he threw throw 200 pitches a game. Today, that's unheard of. 80
0: pitches, and they're coming out. Yeah. You know. Uh, you, you know, I, I, Jerry Grody, again, we're talking about, um, you know, a different guy every game. I heard Jerry Grody say something on Saturday that he had a grand total of six homers in 1969. Six. Four of them came after August 15th, and all of them, all four, were walk off home runs.
2: Right. He he had a good stretch coming down the end. But he was the best defensive catcher in baseball, bar none. Johnny Bench was a great player. He's a Hall of Famer. Grody was a better catcher than all of them. Really?
0: You really tough. you believe that?
2: I really believe it. I mean, you know, offensively, of course, Johnny Bench was a star. No question about it. He had thirty-five, forty 35-40 home run. And was a good catcher. Grody was a great catcher. Blocked the ball better than anybody I've ever seen. And you know it was really aggressive, and he was great. I mean, so our guys could really play. I mean, that that was the, the amazing thing about the Mets. We were a good team. We won 107 games total that year, and, and that's a lot of ball games to win.
0: Yes, it is. And and, and you you said it before, so I'll you, you kind of set me teed it up for me to ask you this question. You, you said how you felt you would have won a lot more, uh, uh, had more of a dynasty had uh, Gil Hodges lived. And Gil Hodges uh, is not in the Hall of Fame. That irks me uh, on a personal level because I've gotten very close. Joan Hodges kind of adopted me. Her son, Gil Jr., we laugh about, adopted me as kind of a second son. But I think it's a travesty that he's not in the Hall of Fame.
2: Well, when you look at his records, both as a player and and then winning with us, uh, you know, he he should go in. He really should. As a player, he, he was in an era that uh, he was one of the offensive threats in, in the National League. Great defensive player. What more could the guy do? And his record stacks up with a lot of guys that are in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, and then as a manager, he was by far, you know, brighter than most of these guys that get all this credit. But, you know, he was he was a good manager. And we had a one again, I'm not taking anything away from, from Yogi, Yogi was a great guy, but I think if Gill's managing and they don't mess the 73, we win. The sixth game was, was instrumental. We pitched Tom Seaver, short-rested. No reason we don't have to win on Saturday. We have to win on Sunday, the seventh game. Oakland has to win on Saturday. We should have pitched George Stone who was 12-3. and three. We bypass him. That's a decision. I think in a short series, the manager makes key decisions along the way. That turns the game around, and you don't have a chance to recover. We didn't have a chance to recover. We were in shock when Seaver gets knocked out. Now we have to come back. Everybody was second fiddle to Tom Seaver, mm-hmm. you know, because he was Cy Young winner that year. He was a Hall of Famer we knew he from day one. He was great. He your marquee player. There's no reason to force him to pitch short-rested in the World Series. At the end of the year in October, he pitched a lot of innings, he shook out a lot of people, threw a lot of baseball that year. So why short rest him? You, you have a game to give away. If you if you say giving a, a game with George Stone, who won 12 games and lost only three, and down the stretch you won a number of them in a row, you're not losing anything if you tell George you're out there for the day. Go get him. you are liable to win on Saturday. And if you don't, I'd like to have Tom Seaver coming back on Sunday fully rested With nine other pitchers, the only one that would be used up would be George Stone and say, I can come out with Tom Seaver on Sunday, Jerry Kuzman in relief, Todd McGraw in relief, Hmm. Ron Taylor did a great job in the World Series and and doesn't get all the credit that he should have.
0: Dr. Ron Taylor, yeah.
2: Dr. Ron Taylor, you know, and and, and he pitched great in the World Series. So we had nine guys in the inning. You know, you can't tell me that Seaver... Can't give you five innings in, in October. Yeah, but, I mean, fully rested and go hard, and then you got nine guys to get four outs, you but, know, four innings in there. You know, so that would have been my strategy. But what do I know? I was just a player rep <laughs> who brought this up to Yogi. You know, because Steve would never wanted to say, "I won't take the ball." Right. Even though he was tired, we all knew he was tired. And, and, you know, he, he wanted other people to tell Yogi, and just Yogi wasn't going to listen to anybody, you know. And, and, unfortunately, when we lost, we lost with our star out there, and that took something out of us.
0: Let, let me ask you this, uh, Eddie. You, you know, Gil uh, Hodges, he, he's up again for the whole next year, I guess, you know, with the Veterans Committee vote. And, you know, I've uh, my my bitch, if you will, with the Veterans Committee is that, you know, guys pass away. So then it becomes out of sight, out of mind. And now, for example, Tom Seaver, you know, with his health issues, you know, I I would think, you know, he's not going to – he can't push for Gil. So do you think the door is closed for good on Gil? Well, we're
2: trying to push this year. This is the last hurrah. I mean, I, I, I just hope guys really take a look at his record as a player. He had over 30 home runs a number of years, played in the championship clubs in the Brooklyn Dodgers. You know, he he was playing in an era.
0: Great fielder?
2: Where, yeah, great fielder. where 40 home runs. was a lot. I mean, and Gil was always up on the top. You know, so how can you say he doesn't belong in it? I mean, he, he had a great career. I, I, he should go in.
0: I'll, I'll tell you my funny uh, story about him in, in the Hall of Fame. You you know, maybe you recall, you know, back and I'm going back now uh, over 20 years. You know, it's when I was still on the radio at WFAN. I I was trying to lead a campaign about Gil getting into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, Joan Hodges and I got extremely friendly. So um, she calls me one day. She says, you know, Russ, you're doing so much. What can I do for you? You, you, you know, can can I get you a guest, somebody special to talk to a lot? So I go, Well, yeah, Joan, I mean, you, you got somebody good in mind. So she goes like this Well, Russ, how about Koufax? So, like, I'm like, Now she doesn't know that Koufax was my guy, because remember, uh, uh, Ed, we were all. If you were in the National League, guy, you were either a a um, Dodgers fan or a Giants fan before you became a Mets fan. So I mean, right. Koufax was my guy. So right. uh, so when when Joan says that to me, I go, Yeah, sure, Joan. You, you know, great, great. You know, have have him give me a shout. You know, you know if if you can get him. So right. the next day, I'm at Channel Nine. Now this is at night now. I'm a channel nine doing my TV work and the phone rings and it's busy. L- like I'm busy. You know, it's like nine o'clock when I'm getting ready to do my show. So my phone rings. I pick up the phone and I go, uh, hello? Uh, uh, yes, uh, Russ Salzberg, please. Yeah, you got him. Uh, oh, Russ, hi. This is Sandy. I go, Sandy, who? He goes, oh, Sandy Koufax. Can you imagine? I, I mean, like I almost soiled myself for, for, right. for, for lack of a better right. term.
2: Well, he was he was the star. He was great.
0: Yeah, he, and he he tried as well. But I guess, like you say, if if it's the last year coming up, I hope somebody can do something. I also thought it was ironic. You know, you your debut or, or you coming up is very interesting because you're kind of involved with two legendary players. One is Gil because you made your debut, and you know I was doing my homework, as a defensive replacement late in the game for in 1962, none other than Gil Hodges. Right. Oh, my God, I did. That's right. In fact, what
2: happened was I, I joined the ball club in California, and Casey put me into a couple of ball games late in the game, you know, try to get your, your feet wet. But my first game in the major leagues, was against uh, Sandy Koufax. I joined the ball club in California. I didn't uh, pinch hit that night, but uh, I was sitting next to Casey. Koufax pitched a no-hitter and struck out 13. So that was my welcome to the major leagues. That was tough. I said, Casey, I'm going back to college. It's going to be a tough career. Wow.
0: I did not know that. also, a lot of people don't remember that you came up wearing number 21. That's and, correct. And then in 1965, the Mets get another pretty darn good left-hander by the name of Warren Spahn. He had right. worn that number his entire career. So you give it to him, and uh, you take number 7, and the rest is history.
2: That's it. And I made the All-Star game I, I, you know, with, with number 7. I, I made it that year, but I did give up to Spahn. You know, I had a respect to him. When he joined the club, you know that was before maybe you got a car to give it up or a watch. I was I was a young kid at the time. I just gave him the uniform and said, "Wear it well."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, uh, I I gotta ask you this, uh, Ed. You know, you come up at seventeen, um, and and in fairness to you, because I noticed before you got brought up, you were, you batted three oh one. Combined at three different levels in the minor league. So so you, you were doing okay. But looking back, like everybody wants to play and everybody thinks they're good and they should be up there. But looking back, do you think a few more years in the minors? You, you know, listen, you were a homegrown kid from Mon- James Monroe High School in the Bronx. They needed that. Do you think... It would have been better for you to had if you had stayed in the minors uh, and you know not been up against the big boys for the first couple of years.
2: Russ, there's no question about it. I would have came up as a 300 hitter, and uh, well, unfortunately, I was force fed to the major leagues. And you know, I hit 250 every year against the whole these Hall of Fame guys. You know, and and the people when I finally caught up with the league seven years later. You know, they said, you've been around so long, you know, you're over the hill. But I was in my early 20s, you know, because it's just, it was amazing. But if I was force-fed, I would have been a better player from day one, no question about it. One player is not going to lead a ball club anywhere. One player is not good enough. You need a number of players added to the roster so you can fill it out and you have strength in numbers. So you know, once uh, Rusty Staub came back and Dave Kingman was added to the ball club, you know some of the better hitters, Cleon Jones and stuff like that. Well, then I hit three hundred, three twenty-three. I mean, I led the league in pinch hitting five years in a row. Hit over four hundred. I set an all-time record as a pinch hitter. I was seventeen for thirty-five. I mean, unheard of. Yeah. I mean, but I was I was matured enough at seventeen. My first roommate was Frank Thomas. <laughs> and he, he was such a sweet guy who tried to help me. But we had nothing in common sure. socially after the game ends. So I w- it was very tough on the road. It, you know, you had nobody to pile out with. And it, it was very frustrating. I have been better off in the minors because every place I played in the minors, basically I hit 300, you know, and, and did well down there because now you're playing against your own peers and you could produce but not too many guys are going to make a living against Andy Koufax and Juan Aristotle and <laughs> you know Drysdale, especially when they're 17 years of age. Yeah. You know They love to see us up there because I was overly aggressive as a young player. Not matured enough to know the strike zone and know the hitting zone is a difference. I know the strike zone, right. but my hitting zone, I like certain balls later on you wind up getting an idea, you take certain pitches because when I swung the bat, I hit the ball. Now that works against you because the pitcher could pitch a ball a little bit out of the strike zone, a little bit out, away from you, you swing at it, you hit a ground ball to short, you hit a ground ball to second. I didn't miss anything. So I didn't strike out 200 times like the current players are swinging up and striking out a lot. So I hit the ball. And it worked against me because every time I swung, I hit. Now I should have waited. Maybe two pitches later, a guy would have made a mistake in my hitting zone, and I would have got a big hit. But that's maturity, and you learn that in the, later on
0: in life. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, my friend. You, you know, 18 seasons in the big leagues, all with one team. In this day and age, it's certainly unheard of. And, and 1,853 games – pretty darn good, but I'm, I'm going to gear away, just step away from baseball for a second and talk basketball, because from I spoke to somebody who played against you, he, he went to DeWitt Clinton, and you went to James Monroe, and he told me you had a pretty good shot, and that guy, I don't you know if you remember him, that little guy who's not much bigger than me, and I'm all of 5'7", a guy by the name of Willie Worsley. You're oh, not, yeah, good player <laughs> up in Clinton. Who good yeah. Good played on the Texas Western team that knocked yeah. off UCLA, you know, the first yeah. team that had five blacks. He said to me, he said he, he took a jump shot over you and something or he made it. He says, but that Eddie Crample was a pretty darn good basketball player. you not he, kidding,
2: he, I'll tell you <laughs> what. Clinton was 7,000 boys, I think, you know, Monroe only had 2,500 in their graduating class. Right. You know? But I love basketball. The, the center at Texas Western was a guy by the name of Neville Shedd. That's right. He was six foot nine. He guarded me in high school, you know, and, and uh, I averaged twenty three points a game my last year in high school. I was I was honorable mention all city. It was great. Monroe was not noted for basketball; we were noted for baseball. But my coach, Sam Talcoff, was a great uh, college player, and he taught me the fundamentals of basketball, and I love it. And, uh, you know, it kept me in shape and, uh, you know, I played it and I really had a good jump shot. But Neville wanted to take me under the basket. <laughs> he, he kept trying to convince me to go underneath. I said, when you're six foot nine or 10, whatever he was, I said, you think I'm crazy? I'm only six, three and a half. There's no way. So I stayed outside and was shooting jump shots and scored 20 somewhat points against him. And then I see him in college at. at uh, t- Texas Western, Western. and uh, they win the championship, and that made me proud that I was able to hold my own against those guys.
0: Yeah, no. I, I, let, let me ask you a question, Ed. I, I mean, uh, you, you know, baseball scholarships were a lot bigger, a lot bigger today than they were. I think back then. Was there any thought of you not going into the pros and, and, and uh, going to college?
2: Well, I, you know, you you thought of it, but uh, you know what, baseball was my number one love, and I knew all the scouts were watching me from my sophomore year in high school. So I, I had more scouts in the stands than I did uh, fans. You know, baseball is not a big draw in high school. So I, I kind of guessed I was going to play baseball, and that's what followed me all through my career in high school. So Bubba Janon and Johnny Murphy, who was our vice president, watched me and, and they kind of convinced me I was going to sign. And uh, But I did have scholarships for basketball. Even, I had basketball scholarships, And I I knew I could apply for baseball scholarships. That was not a problem because everybody knew my name uh, from the New York area. So, you know, a scholarship for baseball would have been easy. But I was surprised that I had a number of basketball Mm -hmm. scholarships. So I knew college was in the background, but my love was baseball. And and two days after graduating high school, I signed a contract with the Mets, and I was on my way to
0: California. And and tell us about you know uh the huge bonus that you got for signing what was it back then
2: well it was 85,000 dollars back then wow well, that's that pretty of,
0: you want to know something i didn't realize that 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 back then that was a uh, lot of schuckol as they say
2: yeah because they didn't we didn't have the, the draft like they have now but you know i would have been considered the number 1 draft so i probably you know whatever these fellas the number 1 draft would get that's probably what i would have had because i was the first pick of the mets and uh you know, I signed a contract and went right to Triple A and then uh you know, played and right to the major league. So it was very quick. You know, but uh, it works against you. It really did. They had they had different uh, bonuses if you stay in the major leagues and you got another seventy five hundred here and there, you know, so it was it was great. But I was forced fed, for but you know what? I wouldn't do it any different.
0: Well, Eddie, I, I, I wanna tell you something. Uh, The miracle of 1969 is just wonderful to talk about. Uh, Your career is wonderful to talk about. But what's even better, my friend, is to be able to sit here and talk about it with you. Uh, You know, the kidney transplant and and your words about organ donation and just how important it is. 74 years old right now, am I correct? Yes, correct. 74, when's your birthday? I'll be 75 in November. Well, I'm that's feeling, I'm feeling good. That's going to be a, a happy happy birthday. I can't thank you enough Ed for being on continued good health and uh, thank you. we'll see you at the ballpark my friend.
2: You sure will. Nice talking to the rest.
0: All right, folks, that was Eddie Cranepoel. I want to thank Eddie, and uh, I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know uh, your thoughts on today's podcast. You can contact me at Twitter at Russ Saltberg, as always on Facebook. Uh, You can contact, uh, check out my website at russaltzberg.com. My thanks, as always, to the big guy Crash across the way at the controls, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano, to Tim Pinaco, my OG podcast producer, Dave Labrosi, 77 WABC program director, his outstanding assistant, Matt Dahl, and, of course, you the fans, because without you people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Altzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, Farewell. Have yourselves a great week.
1: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt collection at Ashley brings you one of a kind body conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool to the touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all new Temper Adapt collection at Ashley in store or online at Ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
2: You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks?